Here, well, good morning, LeClaire. Uh, it is not that great of a day outside, but we are so glad that you have joined us this morning. Uh, it's another opportunity for us to worship. It's another opportunity for us to dive into God's word, another opportunity for us to fellowship together, eat some donuts. Uh, my name is Trey Hardiman. I serve here uh, as one of the pastors, primarily with our next gen. Um, but if you could do us a favor and find the blue connect card in your pew back, and every week I make a joke and I say, hey, go ahead and do this, right? And none of you ever feel out the blue connect card and so we have no way to stay connected with you but daniel he just promoted an app that we made so we couldn't make it any easier for you guys to stay connected with us and so what i'm going to say is download the app and click the button to check in on the app good thumbs up if you're going to do it that's what i figured okay um <laughs> that's what I figured. I, that's what I figured. Uh, so we're going to move on. The ministry we do here at LeClaire would be impossible without your generosity and giving. And so if you uh, would like to or you are able to give this morning, uh, you can do so online or you can place your offering in the black boxes or you can pay where? The app, okay? All right, you can pay via the app, so you should do that. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into the message this morning. God, we are so thankful for who you are. We are so thankful for your son, and this morning as we uh, dive into your word, as we learn more about what you have commanded to us, God, I ask that we would have open hearts and open minds and ears to open ears to allow us to hear what you have to say this morning. God, I, I pray that uh, you would speak through me um, and that these would be your words, but not my own. God, we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Okay, so for the past 11 weeks, we have been in a series titled Commands of Christ, and we hope that this series has been fun. We hope that this series in some ways has been convicting, uh, but more importantly, what we, hope out of, what we hope to get out of this series is that we would get a glimpse of who Jesus is, but also we would see who he, who he calls his followers to be. This morning, we're going to be closing out our Commands of Christ series, and I am honored that I get to do so, but also I have a heavy heart this morning, not just because my Buckeyes got obliterated last night, but more importantly, I feel like I've been writing this sermon for a really long time. And so if I get passionate this morning, if I get to shouting, please forgive me and know that I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you this morning. And if you feel that you, that I am coming after you or calling you out or upsetting you, uh, I want to hear from you. So make sure that you reach out to me and you can email me at andy at <laughs> But really, okay, this is a message dear to my heart. And when our, when our team uh, sat in Andy's office and discussed this series, we all uh, we were at the same week as CIY. And uh, there was a guy who was, who was teaching, and he let us know that they were, his church was getting ready to do a series called The Commands of Christ. It was all based upon this book by John Piper, which goes through each of the commands of Jesus. There's a lot of them. And so we were sitting in, the, in Andy's office trying to discuss, hey, which one should we make sure that LeClaire Christian Church hears? What do, what do our people, what does our congregation need to know? And as we sat in the office, Andy, he said, hey, what sticks out to you? And, and we're sitting there for a while, and immediately I have one that sticks out. But Daniel is pondering as he typically does, and Andy has worked for a while on this series, and so he knows what sticks out to him. But I immediately have one, and I have to act like I, I, that I'm thinking for like five or ten minutes. And then finally, Andy asked me, hey, what stuck out to you? And it's a command that I have written, that I have written in my notebook, so I see it every single day. 
It's one that I have read and written thousands of times. And still every time, I'm reminded of what Jesus has called me and us to. It's a command that if I'm honest, I feel that we have fallen short on most occasions. It's a command that I personally have been convicted of many times, more than I'd like to admit. admit. It's a command that I believe we, the church today, need to be convicted of. It's a command that I long for our next generation and their families, their their parents, their siblings, whoever it may be, to follow. It's a command that we, the church, need to remember and follow immediately if we really believe in Jesus and also if we actually want to spend eternity with God the Father. It's a command from John chapter 15 where Jesus tells his disciples and subsequently us, depending on the translation, abide, remain, or make home in me. Jesus commands us to remain, abide, and make home in him. It's not a request. It's not a suggestion. It's a command that Jesus makes to his followers that we are to make a home in Jesus. And I'm going to be using all three, different, uh, all three of these phrases and words because, uh, in different translations because I think they help us understand what God is trying to accurately depict to us. And the reason why I believe I'm so passionate this morning is because I don't believe we do this command well. That we, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, myself included, I don't believe we do this well. And I believe the enemy, through cultural norms, has set us up to believe that remaining in Jesus is simply a suggestion. That remaining, abiding, making home in Jesus is an if we can. That remaining in Jesus is an if we have time. That we have been hoodwinked to believe that everything else is more important Everything that we do every single day of our lives is more important than accurately and actually depending and remaining in the one who saved us, which is a really big deal when we jump into this text. Because if we really believe the Bible, if we really believe in Jesus, if we really believe in God's word, Jesus is very clear that we are to remain in him. So let's read the text this morning. I'd like to read it in the NIV and then the message version because I think that'll help us understand what's actually being said here. And so the, the, the NIV version will be up on the screen. And then the message version, we're going to have story time with Trace. So you're just going to have to follow along, okay? But here it goes. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. It says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Then this is the message version. I am the real vine, and my Father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes, and every branch that is grape-bearing he prunes back so that it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken to you. 
Live in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine and you are the branches. When you are joined with me and I with you, the relation is intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown onto the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is when you produce grapes when you mature as my disciples. I think it's important for us to note that Jesus begins this entire conversation with his disciples by giving his seventh and final I am statement. To this point, he has said that he is, I am the bread of life, that he is, I am the light of the world, that he is, I am the gate to the sheepfold, that he is, I am the good shepherd, that he is, I am the resurrection and the life. That he is, I am, the way, the truth, and the life. And now he states that I am the true vine. In this passage, Jesus declares that he is the true vine, and God the Father is the gardener. And his disciples are the branches. And Jesus, as he always did, he utilizes a a common cultural metaphor to the nation of Israel to illustrate a powerful message, right? He contextualizes his message to the people in which he is speaking to. It definitely would have made more sense to them than it probably does for us today. Right when he used the language of of being a true vine, those in the room would have immediately been taken back to what was said in Isaiah or potentially in Hosea as God's people were often symbolized by a vine or a vineyard in the Old Testament. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7. It says this, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. Jesus is is taking them back so that they would remember, but also showing them who he is, that he is a culmination, that he is the fulfillment of God's plan, that he is the true vine himself, the one in which we should cling to. Then Jesus tells his disciples that the gardener or the vine dresser, God, He performs two functions with the branches. First, those branches that bear no fruit, he removes. Notice Jesus says, he cuts off every branch in me if it does not bear fruit. And if you continue with the metaphor, a proper interpretation shows that Jesus is saying, every person who professes to be my disciple, a branch, is not necessarily a true follower of me. It's a big deal. A branch that bears no fruit is obviously dead. Secondly, the gardener takes the vines that are producing fruit and prunes them. A saying that I've heard uh, said before, it states it this way, we are pruned to bloom. And I want to hear us all say that this morning. We are pruned to bloom. Let's try that again. We are pruned to bloom. I don't know if I like it, but I made you do it anyway. The process of being pruned seems a little bit odd or a bit harsh. Yet we must remember that the purpose of pruning is actually more fruitfulness. The easiest way that I can explain this, right, is every year, every fall and as fall and winter approach, you go out to your plants and your flower bushes and you cut slash prune the branches. Not because you want them to die, but because you want them to survive and be to survive the winter and be prepped and ready to grow, bloom in the following spring. You prune them. 
You cut them back. And every spring, some survive and bloom, and some do not. The process of pruning is discipleship. The process of pruning is sanctification. It, it, is, it is becoming more like Jesus. Is it, like, it is like the author of Hebrew states, right? We take off everything that easily entangles us and fix our eyes on Jesus. It is difficult. It is hard. It is not easy, yet essential for us to bear fruit. It is why the gardener, God, cuts off every branch who doesn't bear fruit because they aren't willing to go through the pruning process to do so. It's why we see people walk away from the faith when they realize that they have to die to themselves daily. It's why we see people walk away when they realize that it's not their way, but God's way, that it's what God says, not what culture says, that it's not my truth, but God's truth that reigns. See, the main point of Jesus' metaphor is that God wants us to increasingly bear fruit and also become more like Jesus. Problem. How do we do it? You see, there's only one way for us to bear fruit and become more like the Savior. You see, for us to bear fruit, Jesus states in John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5, that we must abide in him as branches abide in the vine. The Greek word for abide is meno. Everybody say meno. Everybody say meno. And it means to remain, wait for, continue to exist, remain in existence. This is a key word in John's theology, right? It occurs 11 times in this chapter, 40 times in this entire gospel, and 27 times in John's epistles. It's a big deal to John, almost as if he's saying and wanting us to understand what it means to abide, what it means to remain in the one who saved us. Edwin A. Bloom a theologian states in his commentary on the Gospel of John, fruitfulness is the result of the son's life being reproduced in a disciple. The disciple's part, the believer's part, is to remain in Jesus, to abide, to remain, to make home in Jesus, is to remain firmly attached to Jesus through our faith and our in him, our daily interactive relationship with him, and our obedience to his life and his ways because his version of better is simply better than ours. A simple application of this text would be that discipleship here is viewed in terms of attachment and fruit bearing. The believer is like a living branch attached to the vine. It is the vine that gives life to the branch. Nourishment from the vine enables the branch to bear good fruit. How one becomes attached is not actually the issue, but that one must be attached to bear good fruit. One should be able to look at the branch, see its fruit, and say, this branch is living. It is attached. It is vital in growing from the vine. Then Jesus states a hard truth that if we do not remain in him, we are incapable of bearing fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, is what he says. To bear fruit, we must be rooted and connected to Jesus, the true vine of life. Disciples of Jesus must remain dependent on Jesus and resist doing things in their own strength. Why? Because without him, they can do nothing. Do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing, at least of eternal value. This means that the Christianity is not simply about believing the right things, though this is important. 
This means that the Christianity is not simply a matter of living a Christ-like life, though this is important too. The Christian experience must necessarily have a spiritual, non-quantifiable dimension. To be a disciple means having the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit living within the believer. It means having a supernatural interior experience that is completely unlike anything available in the world around us. It is a way of believing that we would call doctrine and a way of living in which we would call ethics. But these are nurtured by the life-giving connection with Jesus that we only get by remaining, that we only get by abiding, that we only get by making a home in Christ. Church, we must remember that bearing fruit is a sign of spiritual life and vitality. Fruit is not evidence by which we demonstrate that we belong to the vineyard. Church, we belong by the grace of God. We belong because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But in order for us to sustain a genuine spiritual life in the world, believers must remain intimately attached to Christ. Jesus' demands are for a lifetime. He does not demand a single decision to repent or to come or to believe or to love or to listen. All of these continue. The transformation of repentance continues. Coming to Jesus again and again continues. Believing in him hour by hour continues. Listening to his word as the daily source of our spiritual life continues. Jesus, is demand, Jesus demands the engagement of our minds and hearts every day of our lives. And if I'm honest, this is why my heart breaks this morning. Because I feel like we have been hoodwinked to believe that remaining in Jesus is simply just a suggestion that it isn't important, that following Jesus and remaining in Jesus is an afterthought, that it's not the biggest thing for us, and the enemy has, has committed the greatest heist of all time. The way that he does it is quite crafty, if you ask me. It's in the way of busyness. It's in the way of hurry. You ask your neighbor next to you how they are doing, how, how things are going, and the first thing that they will typically say is, I'm busy, but I'm good. I'm busy, but we're doing all right. I'm busy. This is a really hard season. Someone asked me this morning, how was I doing? And I said, I'm busy. It's what we do. It's natural. It's what we always do. And as I've grown in my faith, as I've been wrestling with this text, and as I've learned to be a follower of Jesus, I've begun to realize when we what we do and what we sacrifice, when we continue in the busyness and hurriness cycle, what we sacrifice is our first love. We sacrifice the one who saved us. We sacrifice our relationship with the one who changed our life from the beginning to the end. We're, we're sacrificing the relationship with the one who longs to transform us from the inside out. Yet we believe that it is what we must do. Dallas Willard, a famous theologian and a man that has drastically shaped my faith, he once said it this way, the greatest threat to our spirituality is hurry. The greatest threat. To our spirituality is hurry. It's not pornography. It's, it's not Hollywood. It's not drugs. It's not alcohol. It's not the White House or the government. It's the hurry and the busyness that doesn't allow us to remain, abide, or make home in him because we don't have time for him. 
I work with NextGen, so let's just give an example. Students go to school for eight hours a day. If they're involved in any sport or extracurricular, that's an extra two to three hours. Depending on the amount of homework they have day in and day out, you can probably add one to two hours with no distractions, but we all know that they love TikTok, so that's not a reality. A 30-minute dinner time and six to seven hours of sleep. Where in the world is their time for Jesus? Where is their time? Parents, I love sports as much as the next person. As many of my life lessons were learned on a team between the lines on the field, court or track. But when did our kids' sports take precedence over the relationship with Jesus? Why is remaining on the team more important than remaining in Jesus? What happens when the sport or the theater or whatever they're involved in gets taken away? We know what happens. We've watched it. We've seen the story play out. They're left scrambling with no identity because they've chosen what is good or what is normal, not what has sustained them. Church, I'm not saying that you have to quit the team. I'm saying you need to put Jesus above the team. But at the same time, if quitting the team means that you can remain in Jesus, maybe that's the best option. Because anything that's getting in the way of you remaining, abiding, and making a home in Jesus has to go. Because he commands us to remain in him. How can we remain in Jesus if we don't have time for him? The answer is we can't. But instead of taking things away, so that we can follow and remain in Jesus, we, we add more. Simply because it's what we do, because it's normal. How can we remain in Jesus if following Jesus is at the bottom of our totem pole? We place finding the right future spouse above our relationship with Jesus. We place getting into the, the future perfect college above our relationship with Jesus. We place, we place getting the future job above our relationship with Jesus. We place making more money or having the best things above our relationship with Jesus. We place our, our ambition Above our relationship with Jesus, and none of these things are inherently bad, but without Jesus, they are meaningless, church. If I get all of these things, but at the end of my life, I don't have any of them, I have nothing. If I get the future job, if I get the perfect wife, if I get get into the perfect college, if I make the most money and it leads me to somewhere great, none of it matters. If I don't have Jesus... I can make all the money in the world, but if I don't have Jesus, as it says in Ecclesiastes, it is meaningless. And we have nothing. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, he writes from the perspective of Satan. It's a fantastic book. You should read it. And he's teaching his demons how to deceive humanity. And he says this, My dear Wormwood... Our business is to get them away from the eternal and from the present. It is far better to make them live in the future. Biological necessity makes all their passions point in that direction already. So that though, so that the thought about the future inflames hope and fear. Also, it is unknown to them. So that in making them think about it, we make them think of unrealities. In a word, the future is, of all things, the least like eternity. It is the most completely temporal part of time, for the past is frozen and no longer flows, and the present is all lit up with eternal rays. 
Gratitude looks to the past and love to the present. Fear and avarice, lust and ambition all look ahead. My fear, church, is that we are so fixated on worldly future desires that remaining in Jesus is not that important. That we have been tricked to believe that we are attached to the vine, but we're really not. And the problem is the enemy can trick us into believing that we are living, but we are actually dead. We are lifeless unless we are connected to the true vine. If you were to go home today and you have a tree in your yard and you have a branch on that tree and that branch is connected to the tree and you cut the branch off and you look at the branch, the branch kind of looks alive, doesn't it? This morning as I left my house, if it wasn't rainy, I would have a branch here, but I figured I would leave my tree alone and you could get the illustration without me waving a branch at you this morning. If you are lucky... This branch might even have some green leaves on it, but it is actually dead. It has been disconnected from its life source. It is no longer capable of drawing from its source. The living sap from the stock stock flowing into it it, enables it to produce the nutrients and all that it needs is disconnected. And because it's disconnected from the tree, it's disconnected from the roots. And because it's disconnected from the roots, it is dead. This is what Jesus is trying to say to us and his disciples, that what roots are to trees, Jesus is to human life. Roots feed off soil, and we were made to derive our life from God in the moment that he, that relationship breaks. As soon as I disconnect from the vine, I am done. I have nothing. I am nothing because I am spiritually dead. And eventually we're going to see the results. Unless we remain in him. These words are guidelines for discipleship and instructions for the church today, how followers of Jesus ought to live out a life in a world that is at at odds with God's word, but nevertheless in need of it. Church, remaining in Jesus looks like choosing Jesus over everything because you believe he is what's best for you. Remaining in Jesus, it is a dependence on him to be your life source. It is who you are more so than what you do. Remaining, abiding, and making a home in Jesus, it is what's best for us, not by worldly standards. So when we look at worldly standards, we're never going to seem right. But to the ones that matter, it's all the more. Church, The greatest part of remaining in Jesus is, yes, that we, we get to bear fruit. But more importantly, the best part of remaining in Jesus is we become more like him. When we remain in him, we become more like him. And I don't know about you, but I want to be more like the risen Savior. I want to be more like the one who saved us. I want to be more like the one who was willing to go above and beyond for humanity. When we remain in him, we become more like him. Church, I don't know where you are right now when it comes to your relationship with Jesus or remaining in Jesus.
There are some of you here in this mor- here this morning that you would say, De- definitely, yes, I, I am attached to the vine, and I have made a home in Jesus, and he has made a home in me. And to you, I want to say, praise God, but also I will say to you, continue. Continue to remain and abide in him because he's worth it. There are some of you here this morning that if you're honest with yourself, you know You know that you aren't attached to the true vine. You may look the part, but it's been a really long time since you've depended on Jesus. That it's been a minute since you have clinged to the one who saved you. Since Jesus has guided your life, and honestly, you know it, but you're spiritually dead. To you, I want to say, return and make home in Jesus. Because he is what's best for you. He's the only one that truly sustains. He is worth it. And becoming more like him is worth it. And finally, there are some of you here this morning that you have have never been attached to the true vine that is Jesus. Maybe you believe that you are too bad or too broken. But can I just say to you this morning that there is nothing that you have ever done in your entire life that Jesus has not died for. He covered it all, and he covers you. And the reality is that Jesus is longing to make a home in you, but you must choose Jesus and make a home in him. And last but not least, I promise it is worth it. Church, it's time that we remember and abide in our first love. It's time that we remain, abide, and make home in the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate to the sheepfold, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, it's time that we abide, remain, and make home in the true vine. As we close out this series of the commands of Christ, would we always remember Jesus' words to his disciples and to us? Remain in me as I remain in you. Will you pray with me? God, I am so grateful for who you are. I'm grateful of your truth and who you're teaching us to be. I'm grateful for your words, your kindness, your love, But more importantly, I'm so grateful for your willingness to show us who you are. And this morning, God, I ask that we would cling to you, that we would abide in you, that we would choose you no matter what, that we would decide that in this moment, from this day forward, nothing is getting in the way of us remaining in you. Not the team, not the job, not the sibling, Not the spouse, not the relationship, not the money, not the ambition, but nothing would get in the way of us remaining, abiding, and making home in you, Father. God, would you show us who you're calling us to be? Would we follow your command and would we every day remain in you as you have done in us? We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen.